Francisco right now is that there's this new group of people who believe the only value is to strip something clean and have the original idea and design it brand new instead of taking what is there and amplifying it to be more than it was before. That was San Francisco houseboat resident Sarah Davis. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from photographers, writers, business owners, and other San Franciscans telling stories and responding to the question, what is it about this place? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 15, Part 2. In Part 1, we heard about Sarah's childhood growing up on a houseboat on Mission Creek. In this podcast, Sarah talks about working with her dad and her brother to build a new houseboat, the one she lives on today. She goes on to tell us about some of the rules governing San Francisco houseboats, and efforts she's part of to bring more active spaces to the surrounding neighborhoods. Here's Sarah. So yeah, but you know, like, so that's sort of where we were raised then. Um, so, so I'm going to high school. I'm having a hard time getting back to the boats. Um, the boat sinks. And I'm, I'm in this program in high school for um, kids. It's like a wilderness program called Urban Pioneers. Mm-hmm. And what it was was if you weren't doing well in school, like I was, you would go um, on these, they would teach you service. You would volunteer at soup kitchens. You'd learn to run ropes courses. They would do a wilderness trip. And it kind of saved my life. And, uh, and so I'm doing that. And they have this thing called a career phase where the idea is is that all these kids go through school and they don't necessarily know what it means to be what they're studying. Mm. And so I did boat building with my dad and we built our second houseboat. Wow. And the second houseboat my dad designed 100% himself. And what it was is um, it was a, it was a, a plywood hold boat that had a bed up top, had the toilet in the shower, and had two little bunks on either side. And my dad did it that way because he said that for his two children, he wanted them always to have a bed in this world. Hmm. And it was the tiniest little boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so he lived there for, for a long time. And I'm off, you know, living in the hate and traveling around the world and doing whatever it is you do. Um, my dad has a third child, my brother Arthur, with his wife Noriko. And Noriko's a totally normal person. <laughs> She's a totally normal person. And um, she moves into the weird little boat, and she just, like, she can't handle it. And so my dad's like, i got to keep this shit together. Like, she wants a normal boat. And so he builds her this super normal boat. Like, sheetrock and, you know, floors and heating and whatever. And he's living on the little boat, and she's living on the big boat. And um, I'm growing up. I'm growing up. And um, I, I fall in love. I fall in love with Olivia's dad and um, and we're doing great and except for we're in this weird situation that I think a lot of people get into where we have to commit to living together and giving up our existences to um, to to band together you mm-hmm. know and so I see dad like we want to we want to try this um, we want to try this and my dad's living in the little boat um, and one day he goes, he goes to the, he goes to the laundromat, he takes his stuff to the laundromat, he brings the laundry bag back, he moves it into Noriko's boat, 
and he lets us move into the boat, me and Sean. <laughs> and, and, you know, like that's how, like he just didn't care about things. He didn't mm-hmm. care about like where he lived or what he did. We've always lived here. In this, uh, five. In this slip. Okay. So, so at some point, Noriko and Arthur moved to Gardenia. Sean and I are living in the big normal boat. My dad's living in the little normal boat. And uh, he sees in the paper that there's this cement barge for sale. He buys it. We buy it. Um, he saw it for sale. He then calls them. Nobody replies. He then calls a year later and tries to get them to buy it. And it's sort of an interesting story. So there's three kinds of boats. There's ones that are have holes, like wood bolt hole, holes that are, that are floating. There's ones with foam, and then there's cement barges. And we, he found a cement barge that was 18 by 50. It was in Martinez. Um, this woman's husband had died, and he was a fascinating character. He was in a wheelchair. And he had a ocean-going sea fishing boat customized for him in his wheelchair. And the cement barge that they were selling at the time for $15,000, their dream was to tow that up to the Delta and grow bait in it. And, and we didn't intend on building this giant McMansion, but that opportunity just happened, and we did it. So we buy this bait barge. Um, I pay for it, Sean built it, and my dad designed it. Wow. And the three of us worked, we, we shared roles, but that's how it broke down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we built it all ourselves. And because um, I'm in the event business, something would come up and we would use it to build the boat. Oh, nice. So everything on this house is like leftover from some show. Right. Um, and so now we live in this three-story houseboat this mcmansion that's 18 by 50 with three floors and it's ginormous yeah how many square feet i don't know know, i went to public school (laughs) don't do math (laughs) i don't like i I can never remember my daughter's birthday it's like i have that kind of mind that can't remember yeah i'm gonna say easily 15 or 1800 yeah it's huge it's huge it's very large um and so now we're here and Mm -hmm. what's happened in that time period is the entire neighborhood has changed around us Mm -hmm. Um, when after the earthquake and the freeways were damaged, you used to be able to ride your bicycle from the freeway here to North Beach. Oh, wow. And so they've taken the freeway down. And because my dad and my family are super, we participate, right? Mm-hmm. So my dad went to all the meetings. And every when they rebuild a community, they have to get the stakeholders involved. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there were none. Mm-hmm. So the people who lived here were the ones that sat at the meetings and talked about Mission Bay and what it could be and what percentage of affordable housing and how high the buildings could be and what, what the organization is. So now we're in this year, 2019, 19. almost at 18. It's two-thirds built. It's an amazing process of not being prejudiced mm-hmm. and hating on people because they can own a $4 million studio apartment. Mm-hmm. And things are happening now, and we're the ones that remember how we got here. So last year, they broke ground on an affordable housing building over there. Mm-hmm. Um, my neighbors protested it. Mm-hmm. They went to meetings. They fought against it. It's mm-hmm. going to be formerly homeless men mm-hmm. for the most part. And again, they could have looked at the map and gone, this is affordable housing, and known that the building that was not built next to them was that. 
I run a group called Mission Bay Families, and we started it to advocate for building a school here. And so they reached out to me and said, um, oh, you know, your Mission Bay family is like, aren't you scared of having these home, these formerly homeless families in the neighborhood? And they were like, and they wanted me to like organize families against it or something. I don't even know. Um, Mission Bay is a third below market rate. Mm -hmm. There is a building on the corner that is, I think, 75 units of formerly homeless families. Kids at that school go to my daughter's school. Right. You know, like that is the miracle of what it is. And if you look at that building, you would never know that it's any different than any of the other buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the thing that I'm the most nervous about for San Francisco is there's nine multi-billion dollar projects that are in track. Treasure Island, Pier 70, Schlage Lock, um, the Flower Market. Um, uh, Transbay Terminal, that area is still flushing out, the parking lot A. Um, seven of those multi-billion dollar projects are here in the South of Market mm-hmm. in District 6. And there's a certain amount of apathy to participate mm-hmm. in like demanding that that have just as much affordable and below market um, housing as can possibly be. Like I recently went out um, to Treasure Island and there's this group of people living out there that is all living in affordable housing. Um, I met this woman who told me that she had taken in her sister's dog and because they had a dog that was unregistered to her living in her house, they had received eviction papers. And they're so removed over there. They're such a different part of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. If people like, you know, like us don't like demand protection of them Mm -hmm. like everyone's so upset about the city changing and um but the ability for it not to change is actually in our hands Mm -hmm. and i'll tell you right now in the last few years i've become super active in my neighborhood and i find it equally scary and um and and exciting about how very little participation can really affect the public dialogue like in a way it's horrible you know you like in my neighborhood right now i'm trying to advocate for um more active spaces like right now mission bay is filled with these places where you could walk in silence with a nine dollar latte like every park is like oh my god look at how beautiful these native plantings are and look at the people walking with their dogs um there's resistance to have the skate park that we were promised there's a resistance to um um having active spaces Um, and you know, one person can raise their hand and say, I feel really uncomfortable about there being loud birthday parties in the park outside of my house and it stops them. Hmm. And so, so that has to be, that has to be organized against. When you say active spaces, like, like, uh, playgrounds, dog parks, that kind of thing. So, well, there's a really, there's, um, courts and whatnot. No. So, so, um, there's a roundabout in Mission Bay Mm -hmm. and it's going to have this vein of a park. Mm-hmm. And um, right now, across from the boat club that we belong to, there's this big open lawn. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect place to have a birthday party, mm-hmm. to maybe have a band play, mm-hmm. to, you know, to become active. Right. It's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there's people who live in the buildings surrounding it that, and I'm not saying that it needs to be that way every weekend, but there has to be room for it. Somewhere for it, yeah. There there does. And it's, it's, a, it's a, a fascinating product process yeah <laughs> can we go back and um i think i and and people want to know sort of 
how these houseboats are allowed to yeah. be here and there's is there a moratorium? I can't remember oh the story, God. but can you Yeah. Okay. So So, there's 55 slips. There's 20 houseboats. Um houseboats are considered fill. So, back in the day, um San Francisco was filling the bay, filling the bay. And a bunch of bossy ass ladies who were the wives of the UC Chancellor, of all the educational, I mean, and I, of course I'm destroying this um, with my revisionist history, but they were the ladies, the wives of the people in power of, uh, in, in our educational systems got together and said, this bay is being filled, we need to stop it. And they formed BCDC. And BCDC stops all fill. And it's why when you drive along the waterfront, you see pilings just out in the middle near Mission Rock. Those aren't pilings, those are land. And just because the pier is gone doesn't mean it's not counted as land. And I think at some point, and this is me making stuff up again, that they're going to probably expand the, the airport and build another runway. And when that happens, those bits of land will be moved like to there. Oh, to fill. To fill. Mm-hmm. So houseboats are considered fill. So mm-hmm. we're limited to just 20. Okay. Um, we had our bar napkin. And we are tenants of the port of San Francisco. Um, we, have, we have the harbor. We're self-governing. Um, we we have a, we have meetings once a month. We have we elect our officials. There's a steering committee. There's a parking committee. We charge ourselves rent. We pay our, um, a percentage of that to the port. A percentage goes to maintenance. Like we do all the maintenance of the docks. When the docks needed to be rebuilt, we did it. We actually also have the parking, and we had the park and the community garden and the shed area. <laughs> And several years, and we had a month-to-month lease with the port. Um, uh, uh, several years ago, because the port and the city are different fiefdoms and empires. Entities, yeah. But the supervisors in San Francisco, all the port had all these like higgity-jiggity leases. Right. And they said, you need to get everybody on a lease. Like you can't just have everybody in the suspended <laughs> temporary situation and so we negotiated a lease Uh, the Burton Act requires that no maritime property have more than a 66 year lease okay so is that is that a state act or yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 I think I mean it makes sense it's to stop sort of people just owning the water if you had more than a in perpetuity Um, so we were granted a 66 year lease and it will expire when I'm 80 years old Mm mm-hmm um, it, so it's my daughter's problem. Um, there's a couple of other organizations. That's why she's selling Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. <laughs> there's a couple of other organizations that have those same lease requirements that got them signed before us. Mm-hmm. Pier 39, Fisherman's Wharf. Hmm. I kind of imagine that they might be able to go to the state and renegotiate. They'll be okay. <laughs> no They're going to be okay. Losing think, any sleep. I think we're going to have some precedent by the time our lease gets renewed they'll be up before you yeah okay. yeah so you know but you know that's sort of in the future um right now we're negotiating so we agreed to take our parking on the shore and move it over they've built us a new parking lot because mm-hmm. we believe that a big beautiful park along the waterfront is in everyone's best interest um 
you know, we, we, you know, we've been taking care of this land for a very long time and we're happy to integrate into a system. I think there's a lot of people who walk through and see that our park is going to be demolished mm -hmm. and feel like it's a real loss of a certain culture of San Francisco. And, and while I'll say that our partners who, the people that we've been talking to for years are wonderful people and our friends, they're trying to sort of make us fit into a system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we seem to, we don't have a, a full lease on the parking lot. We're sort of allowing mm. things to move forward. We don't have a lease on the parking lot. Mm. We don't have a lease for the gar community garden. We don't have a lease for the shed area. Um, and, you know, and, the, and the, the edge keeps on moving further away. You know, where we say, you know, we say we want these plantings and they come and say, we want these plantings. And when you look at the designs as they s are now, um, it's a continuation of the park system that already exists. Mm -hmm. um, you know, me personally, and not speaking for the harbor, would like to see something a little more creative. Would love to see, would love to see, you know, we got California College of the Arts is across the street. What if we installed art pads and like, you know, metal artists could have alternating um, sculptures mm -hmm. you know are there are there parts of the old San Francisco that could be incorporated into the design of the park mm -hmm. to make it have a sort of a more handmade feel mm -hmm. you know and and this isn't you know it's it's just not what people in that world do and that's the biggest problem in San Francisco right now is that there's this new group of people who believe the only value is to strip something clean and have the original idea and design it brand new instead of taking what is there and amplifying it to be more than it was before. And that is the fundamental conflict that is happening in San Francisco right now. And the people who, you know, who came here with this as their dream feel pushed out of that system. And I don't think that the two have to be in such conflict. Um, but, and both sides need to recognize that we do need more housing. You know, I had a lot of my neighbors um, push against height limits mm -hmm. in this area. Mm -hmm. And I was always in favor of high density. Like, we, let, let's build to the sky. I mean, first of all, if you want to buy a multi-million dollar house in a landfill, go ahead. <laughs> but that's like another problem. Yeah. But this is where we have land. Let's build it as tall and as dense. And when you build it as tall and as dense as you can, you have a density that can support real local businesses and not chains. And then you have enough money. Like, let's let the developers build as big as they want. But let's make sure that when they're redesigning Pier 70, they are building a legitimate art center that is actually supporting artists that are starving here now. Mm -hmm. um, when I was growing up, I remember my dad going to meetings around Yerba Buena Gardens. Mm -hmm. And everybody was complaining about the arts, you know, the state of arts in San Francisco. And everybody was like, oh, Yerba Buena Gardens. It's going to, you know, Yerba Buena Theater. Yerba, it's going it, to, this is going to be for you. This is going to be a real community space. Find, you know, look at the calendar and look at which arts, which real community driven art centers feel like that is a place where they can successfully make art. Right. And it's, and there are some, you know, like ODC successfully puts on productions there, but it is not, it is not accessible to, 
to people who are raising kids in public schools, for people who are working in cafes who are artists and want to express themselves. And um, those spaces that did for years um, are disappearing. That was Houseboat resident Sarah Davis. Check back next week when we kick off our Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence at 40 series with Sister Roma. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on everything we do. All past episodes are up on our website, storiedsf.com, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If that happens to be Apple Podcasts and you have a minute to spare, please rate and review the show for us. Send comments or suggestions to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.